Welcome to the Mind on My Money podcast presented by Pinnacle Trust. Hosted by RebelGrove.com publisher Neil McCrady and Pinnacle Trust financial guru Martin Palomo, the Mind on My Money podcast tackles the financial questions we're all thinking about. From paying for college to saving for retirement, from life insurance needs to 401ks and everything in between. The goal is to help you take the stress out of financial concerns and give you some tips to enjoy life while your mind is on your money. Now here are your hosts, Neil McCrady and Martin Paloma. Welcome to another edition of Mind on Money podcast presented by Pinnacle Trust. I'm Neil McCrady, Martin Paloma with me as well as always. Uh, today on the show, uh, we had some uh, guest situations, we got some things that got punted. That's okay. Hopefully, it's not the last punt of the fall. Um, <laughs> so, uh, we, Martin and I are just going to kind of talk for a little while. Probably be a little shorter episode of the podcast than usual, which might be a good thing, might be a bad thing. I don't know. It's up to you. Beauty in the eye of the beholder. Um, I will want to tell you first about, uh, I'm coming to you from Clark Ford Studios. Clark Ford's in Angry, Mississippi, 662-257-1900 is that number. Call it. Ask for Corey Clark. And tell Corey what Ford product you're looking for. He'll send you a quote within 15 minutes in business hours. Even if you're not sure you're looking at a Ford, do me a favor. Do you do yourself a favor. Call Corey. Get a quote. It will probably, at the very least, prevent you from getting uh, snookered somewhere else. It's going to give you a framework of what uh, is a fair deal. And it just might get you into a Clark Ford. And if it does, you'll be really happy. Trust me, I'm in one. Uh, multiple members of my family are in one. We love them. We love the service. Corey and the people at Clark Ford, they uh, want to be your car guy. They want to be your truck guy. And they prove it to you once you start that relationship with them. And all you have to do is make that call. 662-257-1900. Martin, welcome into the show. Uh, before we get started with our scintillating content for the day, tell the people um, out there about Pinnacle Trust and how they can get in touch with you. <clears throat> I love it. I'm I'm learning new things. Scintillating content. That's uh I'm gonna I'm gonna make the attempt to use that in a conversation today. Just the word scintillating, not scintillating content, but just scintillating. All right. Love it. That's the challenge, the word challenge. Um man, uh always always happy to be back. Uh I really do enjoy this portion of the week. Um it's a lot of fun. <clears throat> uh you know, and th- I was kind of thinking about it this morning too. We have to be close to our year mark. Like we we've got a birthday coming up, or we may have passed our birthday and and not even realized it. I have, I don't know. I don't even. This is episode number. It'll be like forty nine, and we've had a couple. Like it's either forty eight or forty nine, and we've had a couple of special editions. Um, yeah, yeah. We're, so we, yeah, we're probably past a year. Yeah. Well, I'll I'll go back and look to see when our first episode dropped, and I hope it doesn't uh, offend you that I did not keep up with our anniversary. Um, I mean, I hope you're okay with that. I'm I am okay. I'm a, I'm a little sad that we both we both just forgot, right? That just says we're we're both total dudes. Uh, <laughs> actually, I'm not. Hey, some I'm really not sad good, at all. But some really good breaking sports news. I'm, you, I'm, you, this, this is this is super exciting for me. So I'm going to interrupt. You're going to interrupt. It's because we can. It, this is our show today. We can do yeah. whatever we want. So I'll talk about Pinnacle Phillies. at the end. Yeah, the Philadelphia Phillies, we'll talk about Pinnacle in a minute. The Philadelphia Phillies and the Miami Marlins played a series in Philadelphia over the weekend. Yes. And as you know, the Marlins have had, I don't know, their total travel party. So it's players, reserve players, coaches, whatever. It's either 17 or 18 positive COVID tests. 
I don't know the exact number. I don't know that it necessarily matters per se. Here's the, that's the terrible news. Here's the great news. They played the Phillies and the Phillies test just came back. No Philadelphia Phillies players or coaches tested positive in the most recent batch of coronavirus test sources tell Jeff Passan and Jesse Rogers of ESPN. That's uh, that's great news. That is the, that's the, fantastic the, news, man. The fear around Major League Baseball in the last 12 to 24 hours has been, oh, God, what if a whole bunch of Phillies have it? Right. Because if it's one team, there are some things you can do. You can you can shut the Marlins down for a little while. You can bring up a bunch of taxi squad guys and go, hey, y'all, y'all weren't going to win anyway. Take your take your beatings. We got to keep this going. Um, you know, but the fact that it's just one team means that you can carry on. Uh, the Phillies game against the Yankees for tonight has already been postponed, but now they can play tomorrow, probably play a doubleheader tomorrow and just be one game behind after this episode. So that's that's a good thing that the season was built with six days off in. Uh, so there, there is some flexibility in the schedule at the end of the schedule. If those games need to be played, if the Phillies or Yankees need to play that game for playoff purposes or whatnot, that game that game could be made up. Um, but yeah, so that's, that is fantastic news. Anyway, I apologize for interrupting, but I was, I, I, I breathed a audible sigh of relief when I saw that because for people that are like, why does that matter to me? Well, if you're listening to this, you probably live in the Southeastern part of the country, or you were turned on to this because of some affiliation with, with our network of podcasts, which means you're probably at least to some degree, a college football fan. And I can tell you that college football officials I can tell you this with absolute knowledge, we're hanging on this piece of news today. Indeed. And we do have, um, man, we've got some listeners in Spain, in England, and Australia, which is awesome. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I know we're, we're worldwide. I we're get worldwide, that. baby. I'm just, saying, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm just saying our meat and potatoes. Our meat and potatoes is, is the southeast. Yeah. You know, yeah. the funny thing is I look at some of the stats, too. Um, we have a ton of listeners in Atlanta. Um, yeah, which is awesome. I mean, you know, this thing does stretch out, and of course, we have a a lot in Mississippi as well. But it's really yeah. cool that that people not just in Jackson, Mississippi, like what we're doing and enjoy our show, man. It's the MPW Digital Brand Podcast, man. We're, it's, it's, we're worldwide. It's, it's like, your baby, it's like, man. It's you are it's worldwide. Like, it's like Barstool and then MPW. I mean, it's it's that order, you know, right there. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I, I know, I, I know that any day now, Barstool is going to give us the phone call, and they're going to be like, "Hey, man, we really want, we want you guys to come, come join our show at some Did point." Did you see Dave Portnoy's interview with the president? Uh-uh. Yeah, so El Prez, and I'm not a Barstool guy. In fact, I, I typically don't pay much attention to it. I, I, I acknowledge their their popularity. Yep. I acknowledge their success. Um, but it's it's not typically my thing. It's I used to view it as somewhat misogynistic and, and kind of juvenile. And, you know, there are only so many hours in the day and I, I work a good bit. You work a good bit, um, you know, and then I have kids and you have kids and I have a wife and you have a wife and, and, and I do things. And, and so there, I don't have just endless hours to spend absorbing Listening. other yep. people. Yep, yep. Yeah. Absorbing other people's media. And that's typically not what I chose, but I'll give Dave Portnoy credit. He got 
invited to the White House to interview the president. Nice. And his tweet, and you know, he only did one tweet. He said, I have, a, you know, one, one of my life rules is that when the president of the United States invites you to the White House, you go. Yeah, absolutely. And no matter, I, who, I agree. No matter I agree who it is. Yeah. Yeah. No matter, no matter whether you voted for that person or not. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's one of the things that's gotten lost. And some of that's Trump's fault. Some of that's the media's fault. Some of that's a lot of fault, but regardless. So he went and I was really curious to see how it would go. And Portnoy, it wasn't a hard hitting interview, but he did a great job of taking Trump's guard down and humanizing Trump. And it, the, the interview had some funny and it, it was interesting and it had Trump admitting to I've never seen Trump really admit to making a mistake. Had Trump even admit that, yeah, there's been some times that I've hit the retweet button and I went back and I was like, ah, I probably shouldn't have done that. And it was like, wow, really? You you you're able. And, and it, it, what you found out was that uh, Trump's son, Donald Trump Jr., really likes Portnoy. Yeah. And that's what led to this. And 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 people are like, oh, well, you know, everyone. And I just that tells you that that, you know, that Trump loves his son. I mean, that, that you know, it, there's, there's some basic stuff there. It, it's as a friend of mine said, it was and it was the kind of interview that you don't ever see with Trump. It, but it's the kind of interview we always used to see with with Obama because the media was somewhat favorable to Obama at times. And so they would they would humanize him because, frankly, because they liked him and they don't like Trump. And when two people who don't like each other sit and have a conversation it's going to be icy. I mean, there are people that I just don't like and they don't like me. And sometimes we're forced to be in the same room together and there's a chill. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. And so, you know, when, when you have that, that's, that is the dynamic so often when the media talk with Trump and when Trump talks to the media and you can, you can see the chill literally come through your television screen. And in, in this case with Portnoy, it wasn't like that. It was, it was, and, and, and predictably, the interview has, has been lambasted by the mainstream media. But, it, but in reality, I think you're going to see Trump over these next 100 days do more interviews like that one, because those are the interviews, frankly, that reach young people. Portnoy's yep. audience, I would venture to guess that his target demo is 20s. Yeah, I was gonna say I was gonna say thirty five and under, but but yeah, you're probably yeah, that's, right. Oh, that's yeah, and that's probably that's probably right. About thirty, you're probably right. About thirty five and, and eighteen to thirty five, predominantly male. Yeah. Um, and then that and listen in that demo that includes a lot of people who are either apolitical, or not set politically, or uh, typical non voters, frankly. A lot of those, you know, a lot of 22, 23 year old people, they, they, they're not engaged in politics. They don't really care. They're into other things. They're very self-obsessed, self-consumed. I don't mean that in a critical way. I just mean literally it's what it is. And those people on a Tuesday in November, they're eh, I'm not going to the polls. I'm sure not going to go wait in the line to vote. And, you know, if, if, if you're, if you're Trump and you do enough of those kind of interviews that uh, you you get some of those votes, those could be those could end up being critical votes because yeah. young people don't typically young people love to talk a lot about politics. They don't typically turn out at the ballot box. 
Yeah, I, I think that you know Obama, <clears throat> his 08 um, election. You know they they really got a lot of the young the young base ignited <clears throat> to show up. I think that Absolutely. Biden and Trump both have a problem doing that. And if Trump if if either one of them figures that out, like figures out how to do it, like Obama did, uh, I think that that's that's a that's a a tilt to whichever one does it. You know, and if it's Trump. And look, you know, Donald Trump Jr. is a, he's a businessman too. He understands, he understands, you know, how the game is played as well. And, you know, there's a lot of stuff that I've seen him do, you know, on behalf, because he's, he has a younger following in his, and he has a a pretty large following as well, but a younger following than, uh, than his father. But, uh, man, he's, he's been pretty, um, pretty active politically as well like getting stuff out politically one of the things that and i was never a, a a trump jr guy or anything like that um it just came across my facebook feed you know with my dad my dad being cuban um <clears throat> anytime i see stories of you know cuban families or anything like that, i always stop and i watch it doesn't matter who posts it uh and it was uh it was donald trump jr though posted uh it was a, it was a, a this like round table type thing, and it was his dad had, you know, our president had brought um, several several people to this. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what to call it. It was like a conference. It looked like a conference, uh, and it was this older. It was an older gentleman who told his story um, about Cuba, and then but they had an, a younger guy, uh, Neil, that was probably. I bet you he's my age. Um, you know, late thirties he might've been early forties and he told his story of in like 2008, 2009, he escaped. He, he escaped from Cuba on a windsurfing board. So he tried to make it all the way from Cuba to Florida and he wasn't going to Key West. So it was more than 90 miles. So I know, I know people are like, uh, you know, Cuba's 90 miles from shore. Yeah. It's 90 miles from the first shore, but he's trying to make it to like Miami, Fort Lauderdale. And he gets picked up by the U.S. Coast Guard. Um, I don't. I don't think he said how many miles. I mean, he was obviously relatively close to sh- to, to land. But uh, they sent him back to Cuba, but allowed him to apply, um, you know, for asylum, political asylum, in the U.S. And the, the anyway, I, I won't belabor the story. But the what he says at the end is that you know he's talking about socialism and communism and he says if you know he's like if communism and socialism were so great why am i willing to sacrifice he's like i was willing to drown myself in the ocean versus going back to cuba back to socialism and communism and um and and he was talking about you know how everyone is treated everyone is there is equality in in communism and everyone is equally poor destitute and downtrodden um, but anyway, he ends up making it back to the U.S. Uh, through political asylum and, you know, starts working. He's washing dishes and whatnot and builds a family. And it's just his story of how he escaped, you know, the 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 hell that socialism and communism is. Um, anyway, but I, that came through Donald Trump Jr. So now, like, I'm kind of follow his page now just because, you know, he posted something that that uh, that hit about, you know, hit a that struck a chord with me. You know, and you're right. This is going to be the show where we just kind of jump all over the place. <laughs> That's okay, man. It's our show. We can do whatever we want. 
So there's been a narrative, and I've bought into it for a long time, that this election's over, that uh, Biden has it wrapped up, that I heard Ben Shapiro, who I have a lot of uh, a lot of respect for. I know a lot of people don't. I do. I like people who speak their minds and and are consistent. And um, Shapiro was on with Joe Rogan, another incredibly successful podcaster. Yep. Um, I like Rogan shows, by the way. Sometimes they're just too damn long. Yeah, they are long. And, and so by the time you finish one, you missed seven. And so, but what I do with Rogan is I subscribe and I just, if, if the if the topic interests me, I listen. I'm kind of that way with Corolla too, yet another um, incredibly successful podcaster. Anyway, I was listening to uh, Shapiro on Rogan and he said basically that, that Trump was right now just losing to a corpse. And he made the, this was a few weeks ago, and he, he made the comment that in 2016, the American electorate was not particularly motivated. And the American electorate was in, in many cases choosing between the lesser of two evils. And they didn't like Trump, but they hated Hillary. He talked about how, and he's exactly right. Hillary Clinton was a historically bad candidate who ran a historically bad campaign. And uh, he, you know, talked about how the polls had Hillary winning by two to three points. And she did in the popular vote, but she lost in the Electoral College, which has happened quite a number of times in American history. Um, anyway, he was talking about how Biden, he was curious to see whether Biden could continue the strategy that he has, which is essentially shut up, hide, stay in a bunker and let Trump beat himself. And for the longest time, that was clearly working. I mean, Biden had stretched out a lead, double digits. There's a little bit of a, in political circles, and if you read some of the kind of internal stuff, there's there's a little bit of a of a pushback right now, though, because... Biden has allowed himself to be so quiet or the Democratic Party has, has made him so quiet that what is speaking now for the Democrats, whether intended or not, is a very radical left wing side of the party. AOC, Bernie Sanders, defund the police, riots, protests that are not that peaceful, um, chaos. Is, is filling the void. I always say that wherever there's silence, something will fill the void. Like it, it's PR kind of 101. If you're running a, a, an organization and something's going on in your organization there, there, and, and you have silence, some speculation and rumor will fill the vacuum. Uh, 100%. 150%. And, absolutely. And that's, that's kind of what's happening right now. There's silence from Biden. And in that silence... Chaos is filling the vacuum. And as that happens, and Elon Musk tweeted this yesterday, think what you will of Elon Musk. He said the middle, and he basically said, let me see if I can pull up the exact quote, because I want to get it right. He said basically the middle is kind of shifting away from from the left and because you know that the middle is you and I were talking about this a little while ago the, the middle in our country 
they are not, uh, I'm, I'm trying to find the quote. Um, here we go. I'm looking for his quote. I want to get it right. It's worth, here it goes. It's just as simple as this. The left is losing the middle. And the middle decides elections. It was funny. I was in the car yesterday, Martin. I'm just rambling, but no, I'm, I'm getting I'm getting to something. I was bringing Carson back. I'm running from with soccer. you, man. I was bringing Carson back from soccer. It was about seven fifteen last night, and uh, Carson's thirteen. He'll be fourteen in October, and obviously he's heard his mom and dad have conversations. He's heard his grandparents have conversations. He lives in a in a house where where obviously his sisters are. His one of his oldest sister is desperate to go back to school. His his high school senior sister is desperate to go back to school. He's desperate to go back to school. It's led to these conversations. And he asked me, he said, Dad, what's the dip what's the difference between a liberal and a conservative? What does that mean? I keep hearing that. What does it mean? And so I started explaining to him. We we talked about, you know, abortion and we talked about um, uh, gay marriage religious uh, freedom of expression. We talked about guns. We talked about uh, taxes. Social programs. Yeah, we talked about just kind of some hot button things where there are views left and right, you know, and I More government, less government. Yeah, I said, so a a hard left liberal is a one and a hard right conservative is a 10. And I said, typically, and that's how I was explaining to him, he was like, well, so we talked about abortion. He said, well, how did, what, 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 what is your thought on abortion? And I was honest with him. I said, well, on a very personal level, I'm pro-life. On a political level, though, I'm kind of pro-choice. And he said, I don't understand. And I said, well, if it happened to one of the girls, I would like to think that we would say, hey, we, if you came to us and, and asked for advice, we would say, have the child. We'll raise it. We'll help you. Don't kill the child. But politically, it's kind of my opinion that I don't have the right to tell another person what she can do with her body. And so I said, so in other words, and he said, so where's that number? I'm like, <laughs> and I'm like, that's a great question. Yeah. And I said, where is that number? I said, it's like a four. And I said, and that's the deal, Carson. Most elections are decided by people that are four, five, or six. Sure. Most of I mean, if, if you're a 10, you're voting for Trump. Yep. And if you're a one, you're voting for Biden. And there's no reason to, that those people aren't watching the debates. Those people aren't listening. Those people aren't reading. Those people aren't soul searching. Those people are, their minds are made up. And it, it applies for nines and twos and probably threes and eights. But it, Four, five, six, and seven, those people can be swayed one election to the next. And if you start losing the middle one way or the other, that's where you lose a tight election. And American elections are tight for the most part. I mean, in the last 75 years, we've had one incumbent president, Jimmy Carter, get blown out in his attempt to be reelected. Gerald Ford, Gerald Ford lost to Jimmy Carter in a very close race. And George H.W. Bush lost to Bill Clinton in a close race that included a third party that got 19% of the vote. Yeah. So we've had one election, Reagan over Carter in 1980, in which the incumbent was essentially routed out of the White House. So it stands to reason that history says this will tighten up and get closer 
And if it does, the middle will decide it. The middle, and as you said a moment ago, the ability of either candidate or either party to motivate its base enough to turn out in droves. It comes down to turnout in the middle. And if Musk is right, and I don't know whether he is or isn't, a lot of people argue one way or the other, but if the left is losing the middle, that's a bad sign for Joe Biden right now because Hillary Clinton absolutely lost the middle. Yeah, you know, and and, and there will be ramifications for, um, you know, if so if, if Trump loses, you know, there will be impact to people's personal finances. And then if Trump wins, there will be impact to people's personal finances too. And, you know, I think I, I'm, I, I, and man, I thought I figured at this time of year or this time of the year, this year that you and I would be talking so much about politics and the elections and how the elections are going to impact personal finance and portfolios and things like that. And, it has just been it we we it has been a non-issue at all all because all that anyone can even think or talk about is how covid-19 is impacting everything so much more significantly at the moment than uh than the elections are and you know and one of the things we kind of chatted about earlier is you know even politically there's you know you talk about kids going back to school in the fall i mean there's there's politics behind that as well um oh god yes you know and and i feel like what's going to probably happen is november is going to sneak up on us because you know there's some schools in central mississippi there's a district that has already kicked back their start date to you know essentially after labor day um beginning of september um I haven't seen any other schools fall in suit yet there has been one district that has said Hey, we're going to give the option of virtual for the whole semester. Um, you know, should they choose, should a family choose that option? Um, but you know, I mean, for us, and I'm just speaking very personally, I'm not going to talk for the masses. Um, my kids need to go back to school for, I mean, one, yes, their education, the social piece of it, too. But, like, for Gia, my, my youngest, she was kindergarten going into first grade. Man, she's in such a crucial time period of learning and education. If she's not in the classroom, uh, I mean, I, we're gonna we're setting her back a full year. I'm just going to need her to repeat, you know, first grade again. Because I can't – I cannot I, – I don't have the tools – to do for her what a teacher can do for her because I'm trying to work. I'm trying to, do, you know, put our house together. I'm trying to, you know, make sure we continue to have food and shelter and all of those things. Uh, and, and, and I, I wasn't an, I didn't become an educator in college. I realized that I am somewhat qualified to teach my child, but also there are things that I don't know that I don't know about education and psychosocial dynamics of, of someone that age. And, you know, and, can I do stuff with Gia on my own? Yeah. But would she benefit significantly better from being in a classroom setting with kids, learning social skills, learning, you know, how to read, write, arithmetic, all the stuff that we learned as, as, as first graders? That's crucial. And she's – the big kids, I'm not so worried about their education stuff because, like, I mean, they're self-sufficient. Christopher's going to be a junior. Bella's going into the eighth grade. They're both really bright, intelligent kids. I don't really worry about them. 
not saying that Gia is not a bright, intelligent kid at all, but she needs, she's at that stage where she needs that hands-on, you know, one-on-one teaching that, that you get in a small classroom that's, you know, a kindergarten and first grade classroom. Oh, listen, Martin, there's no question that what's happened with the school thing is it's become, it's become politicized. And in the midst of that, what we've done is we've turned the kids themselves into a political football. Yeah. And people can argue that all you want. It's okay. I mean, everybody's, everybody's upset, but that's exactly what we've done. We've taken young people and we've turned them into a political football. And there are people that are arguing as a guy, he did it very nicely. And I think he meant it. And I think he comes from a good place. So my Twitter feed today where he, you know, he's talking about an online gaming system that he thinks can, can replace in-person learning and, I don't doubt that you can teach some things, reading, writing, and arithmetic, so to speak, on uh, online. I think you can. I think it can be greatly used online as a supplement. But I also talked to someone in the educational sphere this morning who said this is the, uh, what we're doing is the K effect. And I said, what is that? He said, Kids who already have, kids who come from from strong socioeconomic backgrounds, go go up. You know, if you're a K, and there, there's a you know the, the the line straight line, and then one line goes up and one line goes down to form a K. Yep. He said those kids go up and to the right, and the kids that don't have that come from poor socioeconomic situations out of their control, go down to the left. So the gap grows. The socioeconomic gap grows. The, the knowledge gap grows. And therefore, the wealth gap grows. Yeah. And that is precisely what we're doing. And it's mind-boggling to me. I, I, don't, I don't understand it. I saw what happened in Jackson yesterday, and, and I know there's been some walking back of that in the last 12 hours or so, but I, f- I failed to timestamp this, by the way. It's 10, 12 a.m. Central Daylight Time on Tuesday, July the 28th, 2020. Um, when the Jackson Public Schools said they're going all online. Yeah. And they're canceling football. They're canceling all extracurricular activities. So let me get this straight. My response is, so let me get this straight. You're taking kids who many of them are in underprivileged backgrounds, are in crime-ridden areas. You're in Jackson. Correct me where I'm wrong, please. And if I'm wrong, tell me. Yeah, no, I will. Uh, who are in situations where getting out of the home and into a structured environment is a positive thing on so many levels. You are eliminating that environment from them. You are making them learn online. Many of them do not have strong online options. They don't have great Wi-Fi. And that includes the teachers who are teaching them. Yep. You are taking away extracurricular activities that not only consume their time in a safe place, but provide for them a sense of belonging, a sense of pride, a sense of accomplishment. People belittle sports. One of the things that sports provides young people, boys and girls, is a feeling of belonging to a team, playing for a common objective, 
preparing for a common objective. One of the things that football gives is, and I'm not one of these jocks who's like, if you don't play football, you're not a real man. Uh -uh. My kid doesn't play football. But he plays, he does play sports. He got out yesterday, he was at soccer practice. I mean, I'm, I, this is for sports. But one of the things that football specifically provides is that football practice is not fun. No one goes to a football practice. And at the end of a Tuesday practice where you did team and, and, and endo and, and um, basically skeleton stuff, and then you had team at the end, and then you had conditioning at the, at the end of that, and then you got back up to the field house and you had to lift before you could shower and leave. Nobody gets through with one of those and goes, man, that was a lot of fun. That was awesome. Can't wait for next Tuesday. Yeah. Nobody ever in the history of football has gotten through with the Tuesday practice and went, that was awesome. But Tuesday's your work day. If you're, if you're, if you're playing on Friday, Tuesday is work day. Wednesday's a work day, but it's tapered down Thursday. You just walk through and Friday you play. And over the course of time, you begin to learn that, hey, we win and lose on Tuesday and Wednesday. Yeah. Not Friday. Friday's fun. Football games are fun to play. I mean, you get to put on your game uniform, and you uh, you get to run through the the banner, and the cheerleaders are are are, are cheering for you, and the fans are in the stands, and the the bands playing, and and uh, you get to play, and it's cool. And everybody says Friday night's fun. Very few people say Tuesday night's fun because when you walk on the practice field on Tuesday afternoon, the cheerleaders aren't there. Mm-mm. The parents aren't there. You know what's coming, the, too. The band's not playing. It's hot. It's gonna, you're going to be out there forever. It's nasty. You're going to have to hit. All that stuff. But it's a sense of team. And so you realize that, hey, I got to work hard so that this guy will work hard, so that that guy will work hard, so that we'll have a collective opportunity at success. And there's very few feelings better than on Friday night after you've won a football game. Very few feelings of going back into a locker room. Houston Nut, you say, nothing like a celebrated locker room. And we'd make fun of him, but you know what? Martin's right. Yep. There's very few things like a celebrated locker room where you earned it. Yep. You worked hard, and hey, you just, you just won. Or that sense of... Uh, you gave it all you had and you go into a locker room and you lost and you get up that next morning and you show up for film and you see the film and you, you begin the process of going, okay, well, here's why we lost. Here's what we can work on. And then that next week you work on those things. And if you win that next week, it's, it's a, it's a sense of accomplishment. Well, that's what sports provides. Sports provides life lessons. It provides, it's not about putting kids in college football to play football. It's certainly not about producing pros and, that's that's a lot of that stuff's genetics, man. Make no mistake. But you understand? I'm I'm, I'm getting to that. You 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 completely take that away when you take school and extracurricular activities away from young people. I, I feel for them. You are, in my opinion, and I, I don't mean this to be hyperbolic. I think the Jackson's public schools basically signed a death warrant on at least one kid last night. Man, that's uh, that's pretty dark. But yeah, you're probably right. Uh, you know, and I can't remember if it was. I mean, are you are you telling me that's interrupting? Are you telling me all those kids are going to from eight o'clock to three o'clock? They're going to sit in their homes in front of their computers and they're going to do virtual school. I mean, does anyone believe that? No, no. And so, 
one of my real good friends, his name is Bo. He does um his 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 mission work is these school assemblies. You remember we used to have them when we were young. Um, sure. I don't ever remember anything about them, but now the school assemblies that he does are like. Like they're in your face, real legit stuff. It's talking about, you know, they do talk about, you know, getting into the wrong crowds and things like that, but they mostly talk about abuse and trafficking, which is a really dark thing to talk about, but it's real. And they talk, and they, he said it without fail, they always have kids come up to them afterwards and talk about what's going on in their life. But so he was just saying, since, you know, since we were out of school in the spring, um, the amount of phone calls that, that they've received and just the Metro Jackson area um, has, has gone up significantly um, from kids being abused because it's opportunistic, you know, parents aren't at work. So there's a, I'm going to use his words. These were not my words. These are his words. And I'm quoting him, you know, um, parents weren't at work. Stepdad, uh, you know, finds mom sleeping or not paying attention or mom is at work and stepdad is home with the kids and the little daughter, you know, ends up in a situation where she's being <clears throat> abused, molested, whatnot. They're getting those messages, and, it is, and it's increased exponentially. And they're saying, you know, things like school, at least th- those opportunities are gone for kids like that. You know, and then in the Metro Jackson area, a lot of those kids, it's two hot meals a day. You know, it's breakfast and lunch that they're getting as well. So you're right. It is. It does also go way beyond just education it's structure it's it's things that they don't have at home you know and I mean and even my kid um my oldest plays plays football he plays soccer um you know and it's funny you were talking about saying you know no kid comes home and goes hey I had fun at practice today and I was just thinking Christopher I took my kids white water rafting this weekend because we all of our vacation stuff got smashed so sure that was our that was our vacation this year was we went to the Ocoee and went white water rafting. And, um, you know, we just talked a lot. Uh, there was no phones. We didn't have signals. There was no TVs. There was, it was nothing. We played volleyball. We went white water rafting. It was awesome, man. Um, and like for, for 48 hours, the world was a perfect harmonious place. Um, you know, and, and I asked him, it's like, I was like, are you having fun at football? And he's like, well, that'll come in the fall. And I was like, got it. Makes sense. Because, I mean, they're just training their butts off right now. Yeah, of course. But it's structure. Yeah. You know, and I mean, yeah. I even think yeah. back to when I played, you know, I played college soccer. Our first three, four weeks of training, um, you know, our coach told us, don't don't bring your boots. Bring your running shoes. That's all we're doing is conditioning. And it was awful because it was summertime Mississippi as well. Um, but, yeah, you're right, man. It's delayed gratification. And that's something that, you know, the video games – uh, the, you know, the, I mean, not the video games, the phones, everything that we have creates an instant gratification process. And there's not many opportunities anymore for learning delayed gratification. And then sometimes when you don't get what you want, you learn, you got to work harder. So yeah, it's a, it's a deep gamut that the school thing, the, a deep vein that it runs down, not just education. You're right. So, you know, last night in Oxford, the the school board met and as of now they're still maintaining that they're going to open in-person instruction five days a week starting August the 10th. And it is, it is quite the hot potato here, but I'll bet. 
you know, the most of the people I know want their kids to go back, need their kids to go back. And, and, and the whole, you're, you're endangering the lives of teachers. You don't understand teachers. I come from a teaching family. My mom was a high school teacher. My dad was the, was a, a education professor who became the head of the education department, who became the Dean of education and finished his career as the, as the head of freshman English. My, that's all I've never known was education. That's, that's my life. I mean, that's all I ever knew. I absolutely respect teachers, but you know, there, there comes a point where, and I don't mean this to be flippant. It's just my personal opinion. If, if, if you are so concerned about your job that you don't feel like you can do it, well then perhaps you shouldn't do it. Sure. I mean, you know, there's, there's, it's that simple. Now, I, you know, I do think that, that it's important that, uh, that schools develop plans for, for virtual school, because if there's a, a, an outbreak or if a, a kid is, I mean, listen, one of the things they've got to get across to kids and to parents is that if your kid doesn't feel good, stay home, do school virtually that day. There, there, there are, there are ways to do that, in my opinion. Yep. You know, there's, there's smart, there's smart things about it. If you're a teacher and you wake up and you don't feel well, you don't need to go in. Maybe there's a way for you to teach virtually that day. I, I don't know. Maybe there's, I, I don't know, but, but the whole shut it, the, the shut it down people are the ones that I don't understand them. And it's, it's amazing to me. It's just, it's, I, I read, uh, I read a guy on Twitter as a, one of the, the blue check brigade. 90%, he said, let's shut it down. 90% of the country, let's shut it down for um, six weeks and eradicate the virus. You're like, what? Six weeks? The entire country? Yeah, we won't survive that. How, how does that work? And what you realize is there's there, there are people that just, they don't, they don't think about money. They don't think about the economy. They don't think about the, the supply chain. That won't work. And then further, what happens when you reopen in six weeks? Now everyone is, is, has been locked up and they get out and they're going to get exposed to the virus again. Yeah. And we'll even, so let's just think, let's, 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 can we go down that rabbit hole for just a minute? Let's just talk it out. Let's just yeah. talk about impact. We've got, we got about 20 minutes left. Yeah. Sweet. Sweet. And then, and then before we do, before we cut off, I think, uh, I think it would be wise for us to talk about, um, the proposals going through Congress are through the Senate and, and the house on, um, you know, for extending unemployment and all that stuff. I think it's worthy to talk about that at the end as well. Uh, but anyway, so let's just go down that rabbit hole. So let's pretend we shut down for six weeks, F full shutdown. Like nobody works, nobody does anything. Everyone, everyone, yeah, his proposal was for everyone except for the absolute essential, whatever that means. Yeah. I don't even know what that means because I mean, if we're talking about, the economy, everyone is absolutely essential. Yeah. Um, I, th I think he means for just life and breath. I mean, I think he means with the exception of, of nine one one responders and, and, and the fire department and, and stuff like and that. Grocery I, I store and pharmacy. Uh, uh, well, I, oh no. He, he, he was wanting to kind of close the grocery stores and he wants to close it all. He doesn't want anyone anywhere. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's insane. I mean, you're going to, you would have a, you would have a panic attack of hoarding. It have, would be. Have you seen be, uh, Have you seen the Purge? No. That movie. 
No, I, I it's uh, I'll give you the. You will find you, you will find Martin that I, I I just hardly ever watch a movie. No, that's and that's. I'll give you the real quick premise of it, and because this is what would happen. So the, the purge is kind of set in a, well, I guess it's actually set in today. It was the movie was several years back, um, where uh, for twenty four a twenty four hour period, um, crime is is permitted and allowed. So murder is permitted. Um, you can commit. Oh, I've heard of this. I've not seen it, but I heard about it. Yep. Okay. So, I mean, that is not, and not that we would permit murder, but that is what would happen if everything goes into total lockdown, because the people who don't, the people who don't have, who, who didn't have the money to go get two months worth of groceries, and now they find themselves and their children starving. Do you think they're just going to sit there and and starve? No. I mean, I wouldn't. I'll, let's, I'll put myself in that situation. If if it was between, you know, my kids having – me watching my children die from starvation or going and taking food from somewhere, you know, whether it's breaking into a market, whether it's breaking into someone's, you know, home – or whatnot to, to, to get food for my kids. I mean, I'm, I'm just going to do that. I'm going to do that. It would be total chaos and anarchy and pandemonium. We thought the riots were, were bad. Yes. I mean, yes, it's, 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 well, it shows you how many people, I always talk about this, the difference between the real world and the ideal world. How many people have this view and I don't know where it comes from or what they're, there's there there i have a theory on it and about media and i'm as it pertains to national media and it's real quick it's it's that those people they're not bad people they're not bad people at all they're smart people in fact yeah but they live in a very small bubble and their friend group is fellow journalists yep that are in that bubble who are in the and that bubble is only in about three areas in american media so what, it's New York, York, it's LA. New York, LA, and DC. And DC, okay. Yeah, and so sense. they all know each other. And the DC New York thing often is, this is almost the same bubble because they go back and forth. Yeah. And and so they all know each other. They know each other's husbands and wives. Their friends have play dates together. Yep. They all make pretty good money, and so they all live in pretty nice suburbs. Gated. Yeah, whatever. They, all, they, <laughs> but they, you know what I mean. I mean, they, they all have good lives. Yeah, and that's all they really know, and they don't understand why it can't just be that way for everyone. And that's the way they work. Yeah, and they don't get it. And so what they live in in their they have an ideal world in their minds. They roll into Manhattan and they they show up at NBC or ABC or whatever and. The, the, they, the valet parks their car and, and they, are, are they, 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 they have a car, a car service that comes and gets them and brings them in and they go in and they walk into this fancy place and they get their, their, their uh, fancy cappuccino and someone puts some fancy makeup on them and they, 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 they go sit on the stage and they talk to other beautiful people and, and they, they, they talk about how bad the world is and, and then they go home to their fancy homes and, and they all don't, they don't get it. They live in an ideal world. The real world is not anything like that. And so in the real world, you know, I mean, if you, 
if you close people all, like you just said, if you close grocery stores and you close schools and you close this and you close that. And, I mean, I keep, I mean, there's a, a mailbag question I have today. You know, what do you think one of the, one of the ramifications will be if, if schools are closed all over the country? What do you think one of the ramifications will be? And I'm not trying to be morbid here, but I can tell you one of them is that teen suicide is going to skyrocket. Yeah. It's going to skyrocket. So we are literally trading if you will, a Lives. disease that yep. doesn't kill young people for, something for a side of, for, 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 for an effect that will kill young people. I mean, it, it's a, it's a really bad trade. I mean, if this were a baseball team, it's, Hey, we'll trade you our fourth string shortstop for your two best outfielders done. You're like, no, in this case, like, Oh yeah, that sounds great. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it, you know, he can't hit it. He only has one on. That's okay. <laughs> Take our two best outfielders. Oh it, it, it's insane, man. I mean, it really is. I mean, it, I, it, it's laughable because I just it is, it, it is. It is. It, I have a, a friend uh, who, who travels in Europe a lot, and he was in Germany recently, and he was having a conversation with with them about the the, the U.S. response to COVID and stuff. And he says, "Everybody, Germany, Germany's laughing at us. They, 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 they're like, I, I, they, they can't believe America's this crazy. They had no idea. They thought, you know, they thought we were smart. They're they're blown away by our response to it." Yeah, I mean, and 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 just the insanity of keeping go, keep going down into a worse and worse situation. And so, we'll, we'll, I'll 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 keep the purge stuff out of it and just talk about. Let's just talk about what would happen. Let's just pretend everybody had enough food in their in their house to to sustain it. Um, okay. But businesses don't have enough cash, especially after especially now. So after the first wave, you know, after the first impact, businesses don't, you know, don't have enough cash to, to continue through this. And, and the government, even though, you know, some think that we can just print as much money as we want to and just give away as much stuff as we want to. And there's no consequences or, or anything for those actions. Those people are smoking something that, you know, maybe if that does happen, we all need to smoke it because, because it's going to be the end of our country as we know it anyway. But there's there's not going to be cash to prop up businesses to, you know, to continue to pay full, you know, to pay, pay salaries for folks. So what's going to end up happening is let's say we're shut down for those 6 weeks. You look at the average <clears throat> the average American doesn't even have a month's worth of expenses saved in savings accounts to get them through a 4-week squeeze much much less a six week squeeze. So we try to open back up. Nobody has any money because it's all, it's all been, you either didn't have any, or you spent your, your last bit trying to, to hang on to everything. So the ship doesn't sink. So when things reopen, there's no money, there's no consumers are going to businesses to buy stuff. Therefore businesses don't have cash flow to buy inventory and to employ folks. So what happens you know, they start either, um, you know, trying to fire sell inventory and so they're not making a profit. And at the same time, cutting, you know, cutting expenses and costs, i.e., you know, staff members. So then this, there's this domino effect of, of cash flow is not coming through the market. At some point you bottom out, right? And you hit this, this, uh, this we'll call it a greater depression because realistically that's where we would likely end up is, 
we would make the depression from the 30s look like cakewalk. I mean, the population size of the U.S. now versus versus what it was in the 1930s is is not even comparable. Uh, the government can't. Well, I say that. That I'll say that, and then they'll surprise me. I was going to say the government can't support the entire U.S. population on all of these alphabet soup, quote unquote, New Deal things. I mean, we're not going to build more courthouses. We're not going to build more railroads. We're not going to build interstates. I mean, although tons of our infrastructure needs to be updated, but if the U.S. government's not collecting any tax revenue because businesses aren't making money and individuals aren't making money, therefore we're not paying taxes either way, um, 50% of the government's tax revenue comes from individuals, 36% of the government's tax revenue comes from payroll taxes. If none of those exist, where the hell does the government get the money to create these social welfare programs? Then we have hyperinflation. The U.S. dollar becomes valueless. No one believes in the you – know, people don't believe that the dollar has any value anymore. Therefore, cost of groceries skyrocket, cost of goods skyrocket. I mean, we look at World War – Germany post-World War One. That's what happened to them. All the reparations broke Germany. Therefore, their the German mark became worthless. Uh, you know, hyperinflation ensued. And then what did what, you have happen? Hitler rose to power, man. I mean, I'm not saying that that's what would happen here. I'm just going down a rabbit hole. So all because of a six-week shutdown, right? It's That's where the the cure is so much worse than the disease, right? Yeah, and kind of bringing some of this full circle. I know there's something else you want to get to in a minute, but bringing this little full circle is I do wonder as we get into the fall, and, you know, because back in, if you remember back in March and April, it was kind of this assumption that by the fall, we'd probably be normal. I mean, I can remember people saying to me, hey, Neil, what about spring football? I'm like, dude, I'm just hoping for football. Forget yeah. spring football. And they'd look at you like you were insane. Like, oh, come on. There's no way there won't be football. No way. You know, and I can remember my kids being like, hey, I just, as long as we can go back in August. And I'm thinking to myself, man, I hope you get to, you know. And so here we are, and I'm just going to tell you, there is going to be a backlash from people starting in a couple of weeks if kids can't go back to school, which means adults can't go back to work. And suddenly employers are like, hey, look, I get it, but I got to, I got to move on. Absolutely. I can't, I can't keep doing this, uh, Jimmy or Jane. I'm going to have to let you go because I got I, I can't pay you not to work when I when 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 we're struggling here. It makes sense, right, Martin? I mean, that's what's yeah. going to happen. Yeah. And so and so, what happens is parents are are having to find some kid to come start to stay with their kid for eight nine hours a day. Uh, what do you do with kids all day long? Um, now there, there's no there's no. It, it's ridiculous. It's crazy. It, it, it doesn't work. And I'm telling you, there's going to be a backlash. And that's the reason why when people say this election's over, I don't think so. I really don't. I don't think this election's over. And, and it's, it's why one of the reasons that politically, I think Trump's doing the absolute right thing by saying schools and colleges should open. Absolutely. Schools and colleges should open because that is a, that is a majority view. Most people think that. And, by him saying that, it makes it very clear. Hey, I'm not the reason that your kid can't go back to school. Yeah, I'm for you. I'm not the reason that you just lost your job. I'm not the reason. If it were up to me, your kid would be in school and you'd be at work. But it's not up to me. I don't have power over the states. And 
And I, I do think that's going to start to become to resonate in the general election as we get closer and closer because we're within 100 days now. And these 100 days, if, if it goes the way that the shutdown people want it to go, there's going to be a lot of, and I know people go, that, hey, a life, whatever. I, I get it. Listen, I'm just going to tell you. But people think about, people vote with their pocketbooks. They always have and they always will. And they're, 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 they're going to have their voices heard at the polls. I, I think this election is going to end up being much tighter than it is right now. Yeah, I think it will be too, man. Yeah. Anything else you want to get to before we, we wrap it up? Yeah. Let me just, I'm going to briefly talk about something that came out uh, yesterday. Um, yeah, you know, unemployment benefits expired this week. So that is, yep. are the extra benefit, not unemployment benefits, but like the extra $600 a week. Um, this was the last week that, that it was paid out. So uh, I know the Republicans, they put together like a $1 trillion, another $1 trillion aid package um, that it's supposed to have some more direct payments that $1,200 that, you know, some people received or a lot of people received. Um, and then, and then they received some money for their kids as well. There's, you know, the, the Republicans do have something like that put back together, <clears throat> but the big deal is one of the big things they did was, um, so they're trying to extend the unemployment benefits, but I don't, I don't remember, do you remember us talking when all of this first started and I was looking and I was like, gosh, I mean, in a state like Mississippi, $600 extra on top of your unemployment benefits, what I think is like maybe $250. Don't quote me on that. It's somewhere in that realm. It's between the two and $300 a week is normal unemployment benefit for the state of Mississippi. So then they, st- they tacked on the extra 600 bucks. So you were, you were essentially at, let's just call it $800 of unemployment benefits per week times, you know, times four, times four weeks is what right at 32 $3,200 yeah that's right um which for a lot of folks who were unemployed man was really more than they were making while they were working and the republicans decried that hey we don't need to give folks the incentive to not go back to work because they're not going to and there was a bunch of pushback and then guess what happened you know people didn't want to go back to work because they were making more on their you know, from unemployment. So what the Republicans did, they said, Hey, let's, we're going to cut it by two thirds. So we're going to give you $200 a week on top of your normal benefit. Uh, I know that there's some jockeying, uh, with the, with the Democrats on this. Um, and I don't know what the end it's going to look like. I bet you we get something passed this week. Um, I don't know what it's going to end up looking like, but one of the big things, um, that, that the Republicans did was they put in, um, you know, and it's funny, you were just saying that, you know, it says, and I'm quoting Reuters here, <clears throat> Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell called the proposal a tailored and targeted plan focused on getting children back to school and employees back to work and protecting corporations from lawsuits while slashing the expiring supplemental unemployment benefit of $600 a week by two thirds. <clears throat> so, you know, I was just, I was solidifying what you were saying as well. The right, the Republicans are trying to get kids back to school, um, <clears throat> the aid package is trying to do it's trying to help people get through this and hobble through it and i mean and i know for and i know it is a struggle for some people to find work like they had before i mean my wife is 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 one of them she was uh she was let go her her she was a contract employee her contract you know abruptly ended when coronavirus hit 
And, um, you know, and she hasn't found what she's trying to find. So she's, she's actually pivoting. She's trying to think outside the box, think if she's going to maybe go back to school or, or, uh, or just do something different. But, um, but I do realize there are people struggling out there. You know, fortunately we're in a situation to where, um, you know, the, the expiring unemployment benefit that she received is not, you know, it's not going to change our life. Um, but she, you know, but she is looking for, she's got, she's trying to figure something different because the job that she had before is still not available. I know there's probably a lot of people that are in similar boats, but yeah, no, it's, it's, it's dramatically impacted so many people in so many different ways. It's, it's, uh, yeah. And you know, and one of the things I think, I think we talked about it on here, we were talking about restaurants. Um, and we may not have, but there, what, there was some, there was someone I was talking to, they're saying, you know, when the, when, when the shutdown happened, everyone was let go. When we, when they reopened, bringing back, if there was a hundred employees in the restaurant, bringing back the first 50 was no problem, like had to happen just to operate. But it was those next 50 that are not getting brought back to the restaurants. They're having to figure out something different and things will, it, you know, it well, may, and, it may and take a lot of restaurant employees, a lot of restaurant employees, when they were offered the opportunity to come back, didn't yeah. because they were making more in unemployment. Correct. Correct. And, and and now that's starting to run out. And so, you know, the, yeah, we'll see what happens, man, because yeah, there may be all of a sudden be a game changer. Yeah, there might be. And, and I agreed with the Republicans. I thought that they should have, and I read somewhere too, that it was, you know, one of the deals the Republicans had talked about was maybe doing a cap at, you know, 70% of what your income was prior to, the you know before everyone lost their job or people lost their jobs in the lockdown i thought that's reasonable right you want to give people enough to where um you know they don't completely crumble and go bankrupt but don't give them so much that it takes away the incentive for them to get off of their butts and go back to work make it to where it's more beneficial for them to work than to sit at home and that just was not what happened and i realized you know things happened quick and they were trying to shoot money out of a t-shirt cannon to, you know, to get people cash. And, and it's funny, this really was unprecedented. And to that lady who talked trash to me on Facebook, you probably don't listen to our show because you're not a very cool human anyway, but I was right. And you were wrong. Bam. I did know, I do know my history and I read my history books. That a boy. Yep. (laughs) <laughs> All right, we'll, uh, we've been going an hour. We'll wrap there. You never did, uh, as we finish, just tell the people real quick, as before we go, how they can get oh, in yeah. touch with you all at, at Pinnacle Trust. And by the way, I'll, I'll go ahead and tell you that if you uh, reach out to Pinnacle Trust and you become a client, you'll get 10% off your first year's fee just by telling Martin and Stacy and all the people at uh, Pinnacle Trust that you heard about them on this here podcast. That's right. Yeah, you can, um, you know, for folks that, that this may be their first show, um, you know, if, if you've joined us and you're managing your own money or you have someone managing your investments and you were unhappy with it or you've got ulcers because of what happened in February and March, uh, we know, give us a call, 601-957-0323. Uh, we'd be happy to talk to you. We, uh, we definitely communicated with our clients either directly or through things like this, the podcast, or using our equipment to um, have very direct messages to our clients. So if you didn't get that experience and you're wanting someone to help hold your hand um, and help you navigate, especially these choppy waters coming up to the election, um, just give us a call 601-957-0323. You can reach us through email info 
at pinntrust.com. Um, look us up on Facebook. We are active there. You can either find us Pinnacle Trust or the Mind on My Money podcast and reach out to us there. Martin, is uh fun as as usual. We should do this more often. Yeah, I'll do this like once a week or something. You know, um, <laughs> <laughs> we should. That's a we'll, great idea. We will. Uh, we'll wrap it there. Thanks to everybody for listening. Uh, if you're still with us after an hour and three minutes, we really appreciate it. We'll be back next week with another edition of Mind on My Money podcast presented by Pinnacle Trust. Until then, for Martin Palomo, I'm Neil McCready. Stay safe. Take care. Talk to you soon. Bye.